Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. Okay, guys. How I've, I've been meditating on joy, okay? And how many of you would agree with me that we as individuals and we as the church need a little bit more joy? How many, well, that, that sounded not very joyful. How about, do you agree? Do you agree that many times we go to churches, we go to prayer meetings, we go to small groups, we go to church activities or even ourselves, and we are just the contrary to joy. Like, I mean, some of us have, I, I think people have trouble like getting along with us because we are not, you know, we don't have the joy in our pocket like, you know, whoever sings that song from trolls you know we don't have the sunshine in our pocket you know so right you know what I'm talking about so sometimes we think well if I do this this and this I'm gonna have joy or if I do this set of steps I'm gonna have joy but today I want to tell you that real repentance paves the way for real joy radical repentance paves the way for radical joy, okay? That doesn't mean that you're gonna be uh, laughing, you know, laughter, happiness, and joy are two different things, okay? That doesn't mean that you're gonna shove your emotions or your hard, difficult times under the rug and fake it, uh-uh. Joy is supernatural, the same way as repentance is supernatural, okay? So last week, uh, Caleb talked to us about radical repentance paving the way for you to have radical encounters with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I have been challenged since January from a series of lordship. You know, I have been meditating in my heart through prayer. Holy Spirit, show me more because I don't think we reach a point where you say, I have completely repented and I don't need more to repent. If you are that way, maybe you need to come into my life and tell me what you're doing because I need repentance every day. Every day. You know? Habits that the Holy Spirit shines through and tells you, hey, watch out. Why are you doing this? Control? Uh, it was silent. Yeah, we do have issues with control. Anyways. Today I'm going to teach you about radical repentance with radical joy. And I'm going to base this teaching on the life of David, or better known, King David. Okay, last week we saw the life of Daniel. We're going to see the life of, of King David. And I chose King David because his life, you know, uh, we, we see King David and, and we see the Psalms and we see how this, this man, which the Bible describes, he was a man after God's own heart. And if you know who King David was, the story, he was, he was anointed king. And then he got a little bit distracted along the way, you know. If you don't know about the story, you can find it in 1 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. He was supposed to be at war, okay. But he wasn't at war. He was in the rooftop. And little myth, 
Bathsheba was showering. You know, she had a sexy body. And King David not only watched, he came and told, hey, go grab her for he slept with her. And then premeditated a murder against her husband, Uriah, which he was in the army, uh, King David's army. Can you believe that? So, and then he killed the guy. And then, you know, and like he hid everything and, you know, so that's, and so after that, then come prophet Nathan, you know, he comes the prophet and tells, hey, you have done this, this, and this before the Lord, and you have hidden all this. He was confronted by a man of God. And then King David repents. He saw the repercussions of his sin and hiding it, everything he had done. So what happens? He writes Psalm 51. So I'm going to base everything on Psalm 51, you know. But I want to tell you something this morning. There is no sin that is far too, far too far away for God to reach you. There is no habit that is so deep that God cannot snatch you out. Okay? I want to let you know, maybe you are in a position of hopelessness. God is there. He's going to reach you out. He's going to snatch you out. He's going to bring you back. Okay? So I want to give you, now that I've given you that background, we're going to start have a, a set of eight points. And you say, oh, man, that pastor is going to give us, are we going to have lunch? You know, Yes, you will have lunch, you know. So we're going to read through Psalm 51. We're going to start, my first set of points are going to start from verses 1 through 7. And I'm reading the NIV version, okay? Let me just, be, before we, we start with point one, I want to give you some foundational things about repentance that we need to know. Okay, because sometimes we forget about this. Repentance is turning away from sin, turning towards God. Okay? It's not halfway. I, I, don't, ter- I don't turn halfway. It's complete. Okay? Second of all is repentance is a process that not only will take away the guilt that sin causes into your heart, but will cultivate deep joy. And it's a process. Like everything that the Lord has in our lives, it's a process. Okay? And thirdly, repentance is a lifestyle. It's an everyday thing. So now that I have laid that foundation, we're going to read verses 1 through, I'm going to start with verses 1 through 3, Psalm uh, Psalm 51. And it says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Can we keep on reading till verse 7? It says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely... I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will clean, I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Okay, so point number one, we need to define our sin. 
And if you notice on verses 1 through 3, maybe we can, we can have them on the screen, verses 1 through 3. I, I'm going to point out something that was very interesting when I was studying about this. And it says, um, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Watch that word. And then it says, wash away all my iniquity, second word, and cleanse me from my sin, third word. There are third, three words over there that were chosen by King David, specifically and deliberately by their, by their definition. So I had never seen that, and I had never catched that, and I've read the Bible for many years. So the first step, that is, in, in order for you to have a real repentance, this should look like you define your sin. We are living in a society nowadays that wants to minimize and excuse and not take responsibility of the mistakes, the sins, the bad habits, and the ugliness that we have. We are living in times and in a generation where we don't want to take responsibility. Where we want to uh, where we want to throw it to the neighbor. Oh, it was his fault. Oh, it was her fault. That's why I acted that way. Oh, it was you know, I I, I had nothing to do. Well, you have a lot to do. There's a lot of us we need to take that responsibility. It's about time that the church of God and that the people of God take responsibility of the things that we have done against our God. It's about time that our nation defines the sin in which we're in because the mistakes and the disasters that we have in our nation right now, it's not because God hates us, it's because we have sinned against him. So we need to define our sin. We don't need to minimize it. We need to see it as it is. Because David says here, you know, blot away my transgression. And I'm going to explain this. Transgression is rebelling against God's authority and law. Anything that surpasses a divine boundary. That is transgression. Anything that surpasses a divine boundary. So, for example, adultery, fornication, drug addictions, okay? The second word is iniquity. And it says here, a distortion of what should be. A type of sin that involves a conscious decision. I think we're all in that boat. You know? And then the last word is sin, and sin is missing the mark. And it's interesting how he says here blot my transgression, cleanse me from my iniquity, and you know, forgive me from my sin. All sin is against God, and all sin has consequence. Now, there are different consequences for different types of sin, but sin is sin. I don't care how you put it. There is no such thing as a little lie or a big lie. It is a lie. It is a deceit. And you know, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, and this is for all but us parents. Something that I'm learning is this. The moment I say something contrary to the truth, to the truth as minimal as it might be, that moment I am... Pairing myself up because the Bible describes the enemy 
Satan being the father of lies. In that moment, I am letting deception come into my kids. And when my kids are being uh, blinded by deception, there is no way they will be able to know discernment from the truth and the false things. So as parents of little ones, this is not only for parents, be careful what you say. We need to discern, we need to say, no, you can't go to this place because of this, this, and this. And don't be afraid to speak truth. Okay? For the young people. You guys are living in, a, in, in hard times because Instagram is flooding you guys and we need discernment because there's so much good information out there, but not necessarily biblical, okay? And not all information is good, okay? So I think we need to be careful. We need to, you know, be able to see where, where is my discernment? What, what is my sin, Lord, I've sinned against you, okay? David expresses here how his sin was deep. It was deep. It went, you know, it not only hurt one person, it hurt multiple people. You know, so that's very important that we define sin. Number two, we appeal to God's mercy, We appeal to God's mercy. And we see that in verse 1 when he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. David appeals. And you know, when, when, when when, when the Holy Spirit shines the light in our heart and tells us, Hey, you have sinned. Look what my word says. Our standard should be Jesus and the word of God. And when he's showing that light in us, we appeal to his mercy, two things. We go to God because he has a commitment with us of his unfailing love. I might not have a commitment with him, but I go to him because no matter what I did, his love is unfailing. His mercy is there. Okay, so David, it's, it's good because he says David appeals for forgiveness based on what he knows about God, about his nature and his character. And so that's why he has the freedom. And you know what? It's not easy. It's not good. When, when, we, are ex- when we see the sin in the light of the word of God, it's, not, it's a confrontation that you are like, you have two decisions. You have one decision to make. Either you turn to God or you turn away. So when we come to God, I don't care what kind of sin, whatever it is that you have in your heart, I don't care, but you have to run to Jesus because his nature is never changing. His character is never changing. His unfailing love is always there. Even when you don't feel it, it's always there. His mercy is always there. His grace is always there. And so that's what is cleansing us. So we need to appeal to his mercy. You know, number three, we avoid defensiveness and seek God rightly. And this, I want to touch on this. Where, and, and if we go back to verse four, it says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justify when you judge. You know, when David was confronted by the man of God, David could have easily said, hey, you know, I'm king. 
so on and so forth. He could have defended himself. He could have probably have the right to defend himself. But no, he was King David. And sometimes when we are confronted by God, we excuse ourselves. And much more if we are confronted by someone no close to us and tell us, hey, you know what? You just this, this, and this is not biblical. This is a sin. And if you can keep going this way, it's going to take you to the wrong, wrong direction. And sometimes we're like, who, who are you? Why are you telling me this? Blah, 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 so on and so forth. You know, and we're, we, we are defensive. We have this defensive mechanism. We, don't, we do the cold shoulder, I think it is, you know, like, I'm not going to go to church because uh, God is dealing with me. And we pull up the God thing. You know, this is ridiculous. I'm sorry if you're going to get offended. But this is ridiculous. We stop going to church because we are confronted. We stop going to church because we are offended. And many times, the majority of the times, we're offended by the truth. You know, we are offended. We are so offensive. You know, we, we are offensive and we get offended, you know. So it's not possible. That is not good. You know, when your sin is confronted, you need to be at church every prayer meeting, every Sunday, go to equip, go to your ego. I don't know what it is, but you need to be there. You need to be with the presence of God. We don't need to run away. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. There is no. Really. I'm on. If you just get get plugged in in a church. You know, we, we, are, we are seeking the Lord. And we have made so many mistakes. But one thing I know is we're seeking the Lord. You know? And so come to church. When your sin is to the top, come to church. When you are uh, repenting from your sin, come to church. Bring others to church. So we need to see God rightly. And we don't need to get defensive. Hey, nobody's against you. Nobody's against you. Trust me. And nobody, you know, you know some of us think that everyone is against us. We have like this uh, persecution symptom, you know, like people are against us. And uh-uh. No. God wants to, you know, mend your heart from sin. So we need to see God rightly. And it says here that against you and you only have I sinned. And how can that be? Because I want to touch on this point specifically. And it's this. When we sin, we not only sin against God. We sin against people. Did you know that? A lot of people are affected by what you do. Newsflash. There's a lot of people that you probably need to go back and say, hey, forgive me for what what I said, what I did. But ultimately, all sin is against God. And going back to my point of like taking responsibility, we need to take responsibility of the things that we have done to people. We need to, we, we, guys, we cannot, you know, sometimes we come to church and we wonder why we're not growing and the Holy Spirit is showing you that you need to go back to your, whoever that person is and say, hey, I'm so sorry for what I did 10 years ago. I'm so sorry for saying this, this, and this against you. 
you know? And so we need to take that responsibility and go back and ask for forgiveness. And ask for forgiveness to God, too. And he's a righteous God, and he's a God of justice. And I don't promise you that as you go back to this people or to this person or something, that you might get that relationship back as it was before. I don't promise you that. It might not ever be that way, or it could be better. I don't know, but your job is to go back to that person or whoever or many people, and you do your part. Let God do the restoration. God will restore. God will redeem. God will bring back. Okay? I'm not saying you need to be best friends. Uh-uh. Because I know there are situations where you, that's, you just need to ask for forgiveness and that's it. Move forward. Okay? So, God is a God of justice and a, a righteous God too. And number four, it says, look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Maybe I'm going a little bit too fast. It says, look to Jesus. You know, when we sin, when, we, when, when our life is exposed before the Lord, when we are completely broken before the Lord, we have to look to Jesus. We don't have to look to any other thing because only the cross, only the work at the cross can forgive us only the blood that was shed on the cross will forgive me only that the bible says that his word sanctifies me his word cleanses me his word you know purifies me so we need to look to jesus because what happens is like we see sometimes we're in this position of like how could I do this, you know? And you're trying to get back the pieces together. You don't know how to, and it feels impossible. Have you been in that situation? You don't need to raise your hand. Have you been in that situation where the, when sin was exposed in your heart and you are, this overwhelming feeling just comes over you that it is impossible that you can move forward. It is even impossible to come and look to Jesus because of what you did. It is like, it seems that the heaviness just is heavier than you. I want to tell you that you need to look to Jesus desperately, desperately. And it will take a process and it will take time to restore that, to, you know, for for you to have things back in order in your life. It it is not, it doesn't happen like this. Jesus is not a microwave, (laughs) You know, God is not a microwave. God is a God of processes. He heals immediately, but when he, when he, he, you know, he takes away the guilt in your, in your heart caused by sin, caused by whatever thing. But the healing process of that is a process, a journey, a long journey sometimes. The deliverance is like, sometimes seems way longer, you know. So, and I have testimonies over here around the church, and I don't want to like, you know, Mo has been, has been very upfront with, with every, in her life, so that's why I, I, I talk about her. Because I know Mo from a very long time, and I know where she was, and I know where she is, and I know everything that happened to her. And look at her now. She is the biggest testimony that I've experienced in, in this few years, in this year. Like, she was here. 
She was here in church. She was here when she didn't even feel like it. But she knew that Jesus, you know, so she clinged from that. And I see her and I see where she's going and I'm excited with her, you know. So I don't know where you are. I really don't know where you are. But God knows and you have to desperately look for Jesus. Because times are not going to get better. You know, because our generations don't get better, sadly but truly. You know, because our countries, sadly, by faith it will get better. But we need, we need Jesus. We need to walk in his righteousness. We need to look for him. Number five, it says, ask God to break and heal you. And let's read verse eight here. It says, let, my, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And you know, it says, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. When God reveals our sin to us, it's very painful. It is very painful. And you know, and it said, it's never pleasant to confront just how unholy we are. It is not pleasant. And I, I just, I just want to say something. Holiness is not perfection. And holiness, it is a process. Okay? It is a process of holiness. The Bible says, be holy because I am holy. It doesn't say perfect. We are not thriving to be perfect. We're thriving to be holiness. And what does that mean? I'm going to get day by day a little bit closer to what Jesus looks like. That's what it is, holiness. Day by day, I'm going to move closer to how he looks like. Day by day, I'm going to bring others to help them look like how Jesus looks. Okay? And it says, but you know, like a doctor when there's, and I, I'm pretty sure like Zach can really explain more in that because he's a chiropractor. You know, when, a, when there's a fracture uh, and, and sometimes the doctor has to like reset that bone, right? And I don't know if you have experienced this, but just the fact of thinking it is painful. So picture this. So just as the same way a doctor has to reset the bone, the same way God does that with our lives, you know? Sin breaks us. So he has to come and he has to reset the bone, and that is painful. That is the process of confrontation, you know, and, and then the healing process and the breaking process. But the same way that doctor, doctor resets, he sets and he heals. The same way Jesus does. So Jesus, he resets us. He puts it back together and he heals us. And that's when we experience joy. That's when we experience joy. Oh, so does that mean that I have to wait all that long process? No. The moment you are confronted with the Holy Spirit, that's the moment where joy is being cultivated. It is the, the beginnings of when you are going to experience joy. Because it says that the joy is the, the, the joint, the, the <laughs> I just got confused. The, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Sorry. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then in another verse says that his, his joy uh, is, like resets our bones, brings life to our bones. You know, the joy, the supernatural joy. And so 
and sometimes we wonder why we are so unjoyful. And there's many factors that could affect that. But primarily is like my question for you and the question that I've done in my life lately is like, Lord, show me and reveal to me what things are taking away that deep joy. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is very quick, very quick to shine his light, you know. But the same way, he's very quick to give us joy. Okay. I'm going to, verses, uh, points six through eight, I'm going to specifically uh, talk about verses 11 through 17. I just don't want you to be lost, so that's why I'm very specific in my instructions. Let's go to verse 11. It says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. You see, and so my... my uh, Point number six is be, comf be comforted, comf comforted by the Spirit, you know? Be comfort, like you have to find comfort in Him. You don't need to find comfort in therapy. Now, therapy is good. I don't, I'm not saying that's bad. You don't need to find comfort in your friends. Now, having friends is good. But your source of comfort is the Holy Spirit. When David had sinned and he was confronted by this, he was grieving. And when the moment we are grieving, that means that the Holy Spirit is at work in our heart. That grief that we feel is the Holy Spirit work, working in our heart. But be comforted by the Holy Spirit too. Be comforted by him that it doesn't matter how much brokenness there is. He's going to comfort you. The Bible says that he comforts those who have a broken heart and that he mends those that have a spirit that has been crushed. Okay. So and sin, that's what it does in our hearts. You know, we go through different situations. Not only sin breaks our heart, many other situations. Take comfort that he's there with you in your grief. In your pain, in your desperation, he's there with you. It says here that sometimes we, we get discouraged. We get so discouraged and we want to just, you know, backtrack and we don't want to, we just want to wallow up in our sin. But no, that is not the answer. That is not the answer. You need to get comfort. Every day, Holy Spirit, I'm here. Comfort me. I can't deal with this. Help me. And he's going to, you know, and as you do that, he's going to surround you with people that will help you in this journey. Because let me tell you, we cannot do this alone. There is no such thing as being a lone Christian. No, 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 no. You, you're not a loner. And I suggest you never be one. 
You need a community around you that will tell you, you are going on, you're going the wrong path. You need to repent. And you know what? I don't know why, but we shy away from that. And we need to get people in our lives like that. Sometimes we need to get those that are more blunt in our life that will tell us, you know, we need to, we need to let them in. You know, we need to let those people in that will tell us, hey, you're crazy. Why did you do that? You are so wrong. I, I need people like that. You know, I have Julian in my house <laughs> that he tells me, you know, you, you think he's very, you know, he's, he's an introvert, but he is very straight. He's like a dagger, zoom, you know, he's like, and then I have my mom, you know, <laughs> and she's like, you know, like, like, I feel like a seesaw, like a seesaw, like a saw thing or whatever that is called, you know, RJ's laughing at me, but you know, someone cut me, cut me, you know, like, enough, Jesus, enough, enough, but we need people like that, you know? But we also need people to tell us, hey, I know what you did, but you can come out of this. We're going to help you out. Come to church. Dragging you to church, you know, like, you know, wake up. Are you up? I'm going to pick you up right now, you know. We need people like that. We need both because that's God's nature. Okay. So be comforted by his spirit that you're going to get out of that pit. That sin is not going to crush you, okay? Are we good? Okay, don't, okay, I'm almost done, guys. I'm getting my visual aid, and this visual aid is going to wake you up, okay? Number seven, we rejoice and proclaim the truth. You Actually, you know, I have eight points, and this is my favorite point. <laughs> uh, it says, rejoice and proclaim the truth. Verses 12 through 15, let's read them again. You're probably going to say, I went to church and she just read, read, and read, and I was bored. You know? It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners, sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and may my mouth declare your praise. Okay, so let me explain to you this. David asks God to make him so joyful that it will compel him to bring the lost and it will compel him to get those people that are not, that, that maybe are walking with the Lord, but maybe are just falling apart to bring them back. You know, and it says here, it says, make him so joyful about his salvation that he cannot help but proclaim the good news of God. And so this point, rejoice and proclaim the truth. And there is something here that I want us to learn, and it's this. When we have a radical repentance, radical repentance will do two things to you. It will compel you to preach the gospel and it will activate you in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to explain to you something very important. There has to be some sort of synchrony in this. And what do I mean by that? It's like if you repent, you cannot be waiting three years to preach the gospel. 
There has to be a synchrony of your heart with the heart of God and automatically being you, uh, being you activated. Oh, I'm going to preach all the gospel I can, but I'm not going to work in the local church. I'm not going to get active because those people offend me. I don't want to go to church. I'm going to preach the gospel. But I'm not going to go to church because I don't like how my greeter said hi to me today. Uh-uh. God created the local church. God created. We are the body of Christ. We need people to be activated. Okay? So I have a visual aid. Thank you, guys. You know, this is how the church should look like. This is real joy. So next time you come to church, Wednesday or Tuesday or Friday, you come ready. You bring your people. You bring your family. You know, you repent and as you repent, you move and you do the church's slide and you remember, you know, whatever it is. But my point is, radical repentance leads to radical joy. And the church of God needs to be alive. You know, and the church of God should be life-giving. We need to be smiling in our workplaces. We need to be singing praises in our homes. We need to go to work and we need to be the best employee, not the nagger, not the bitter, not the one that robs company time or resources, you know? <laughs> hey guys, I've been there, you know? <laughs> so, so I just, I just want to tell you, I, you need to be compelled. You need to be activated. Okay, and my last point as I close, it's this, you need to resume to obey. Because if you do all, you can do all these things, point one through seven, but if you don't resume in your heart that you're gonna obey the Lord and that you're gonna go in his path, nothing works. And that means that grace is not taking root in your heart. So we need to obey. We need to obey God, his word, okay? The Bible says that he doesn't despite a, uh, despise a heart that is contrite and broken. I don't know where you are in your journey with the Lord. Maybe you are lacking obedience. Because if we do all these steps, one through seven, but we don't do the obedience part, we are religious. We don't need more religions. We need a relationship. We need a lifestyle of repentance. We need more joy in the church and outside of the church. We need people to be like, hey, I want that Jesus that you have because I've never met someone so joyful as you. So I want to really challenge you this morning. We're gonna go into ministry time. We're gonna open the altar. And I just want us to, why don't we take a moment to just open our hearts and just open our minds, you know, and, and have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to uh, just a, a few moments just for the Holy Spirit to start working in our hearts and shining His light. You know, the Holy Spirit is at work. He is at work. 
And sometimes we shy away of asking the Holy Spirit, reveal or bring back to the surface those things that are hindering me to experience the fullness of your life. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, do not be afraid to ask that. He's not going to ridicule you. He's not here to ridicule you. He's not here to put you on the spot. Why don't we stand up for a moment and we just lift our hands to Him. If you feel comfortable, you can lift your hands. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through His Word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.